0: Morning. If they start swinging, I'll hit it. So, let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the reading of Your Word. What a privilege it is to have Your Word, to hold it in our own hands, to read Your revelation of Yourself to us. We're grateful. So, Father, as we take up this privilege now, I I pray that you would empower your word. I pray that your spirit would apply it in our lives. I pray that we would receive it gladly. And I pray, Father, that your word would do its work in us, making us more and more like your son. We ask it in his name. Amen. Does the name Marjo Gortner... Ring a bell. Marjo Gortner, he was the son of a third-generation preacher, and his parents named him Marjo to combine the names Mary and Joseph in one name. He had a great capacity for mimicking whatever he heard, so his parents groomed him to become a Pentecostal preacher, and they had him ordained at the age of four. It was uh, in order to do a wedding that they had him ordained. Memorized the whole wedding ceremony and uh, performed a wedding at the age of four. They took him on a preaching circuit and amassed about $3 million by the time he was 16 years old. I remember watching a documentary movie on him a long time ago. I remember coming home deeply troubled by what I had seen that night at the theater. The movie had clips from his preaching, as well as behind the scenes footage of him explaining his techniques and counting the money after the night's haul. His preaching was impressive. People responded to his preaching. But his life was a sham. He was a false prophet. In the text we're going to be looking at today, Jesus warns us about false prophets. He calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't all show up on a grand scale like Marjo Gortner, but Jesus warns us that they do show up. And they do show up In the church. So, how do we protect the flock from predators like that? That's our question today. Protecting the flock from false prophets, I believe, means recognizing three things at least sheep, wolves, and fruit. Because we're sheep, they're wolves, and we tell their wolves by the fruit of their lives. Let's unpack that. Sheep, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Sheep. There are are lots of references in the Old Testament to God caring for his people, and they are places where he refers to them As his sheep. We're his sheep. In the 23rd Psalm, David, the former shepherd boy, now king, delights in the fact that the Lord is his shepherd. He thinks back on his sheep tending days and he realizes the primary function of a shepherd is to care for the sheep, and he delights in the fact that he can call the Lord his shepherd. He cares for him. In Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We're his sheep. The we there in Psalm 100 refers to God's people, Israel, in the Old Covenant. But the psalmist delights there, even in that old covenant, that God looks at his people as his sheep, as the flock under his care. Isaiah 40, verse 11, tells us something about that care. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's the care of a shepherd. So God is our shepherd. And we can rejoice that he cares well for his sheep. We're his sheep. God wants his sheep well cared for, so he appoints under-shepherds as well to care for the flock. In the Old Testament, kings were referred to as shepherds. And they were charged with caring for God's people, his flock. He required them to be faithful. And he pronounces woe on the shepherds who don't care well for the flock. Unfaithful shepherds, leaders of his people who cared more for themselves than for the sheep. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 1 is one of those places. He says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Shepherds, he's talking about leaders. And all of Ezekiel chapter 34 condemns the leaders of Israel who looked after themselves rather than looking after the needs of God's people God cares for his people, his flock. He wants good shepherds to lead them. Jesus takes up that theme in the New Testament, carries it forward. He identifies himself as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep in John chapter 10, verse 11. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus is shown to be the chief shepherd And he has under shepherds who serve under him, elders who need to be faithful to him in the care of his flock. God sees his people as his sheep, his flock. He cares for us. So, sheep that's us. We're sheep. In our understanding of this passage in Matthew 7, where Jesus warns us of false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, we begin with sheep. That's us. And this passage serves as a warning to us, a warning to sheep. Beware, Jesus says in verse 15. We need to recognize we're the ones he's speaking to, warning us about wolves who come to us in sheep's clothing, that brings us to the second thing we need to be aware of, and that is the wolves. Acts uh, chapter 20, we're going to look at in a moment, but verse 15, again, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are wolves out there, he says, and he says there are wolves in here. Wolves are predators. Predators. And they're the natural enemies of sheep. Sheep are defenseless against wolves. So wolves can do a lot of damage to a flock. Paul warns the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, a passage Jonathan read a few minutes ago, about fierce wolves who would come in among them and not spare the flock. Acts 20 verse 29. And then in verse 30, He says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Wolves within the flock of God, masquerading as sheep. Jesus warns us in verse 15 that those wolves will make themselves look like sheep outwardly. That's how they get in. That's how they gain access. That's how they gain trust. That's how they gain influence by looking like sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing. They want you to think they're sheep. They fit in. They use the same language. They follow the same customs. They get in, and they mislead. They're false prophets, Jesus says. People who claim to represent God but whose claims are false. Now let's think for a moment about how prophecy worked in New Testament times. He calls them false prophets. There were prophets in the church of the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, it speaks of people, male and female, prophesying in the local church. It happened in the church in Corinth. People gave word of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 to 31, Paul gives some rules governing how to handle it when people did that, when someone would prophesy. And so Paul's instruction here in 1 Corinthians shows that it's a regular practice in the church of Corinth. People prophesied there. So how does prophecy work in that sort of setting? Well, prophecy in the New Testament church doesn't quite carry the weight of prophecy in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet would speak a definitive word from God and would generally say, thus saith the Lord. Well, if there were a spectrum then between delivering the very words of God, Old Testament prophet style, And delivering a lecture, New Testament prophecy would end up somewhere in the middle. Somewhere between delivering the very words of God and delivering a lecture. Somewhere in the middle. Maybe somewhere around feeling led by God to say something. So in the assembly of of people, someone feels prompted to say something, gets up and says it. That would be considered in the New Testament prophecy. Uh, It was uh, David Lloyd-Jones who said uh, to prophesy in the New Testament means to deliver a spiritual message. That's a pretty good summary, delivering a spiritual message. And so when we see prophecy in this light, it's easier to see how false prophets would be able to infiltrate the church. The church has lots of people who have something to say. Lots of people who want to deliver a spiritual message. So what would a false prophet look like if one came here? How would he get in? How would he gain a hearing? Well, he'd do it by looking like a sheep. That's the warning Jesus gives. He would be regular in his attendance. He would be regular in his giving. He would uh, have appropriate things to say. He would kind of know the language of the church, he would fit in well. And he would use the influence he gains in order to mislead God's people because it's the nature of a false prophet to mislead God's people. Now, sometimes they do that through outright error or heresy. That's pretty blatant. And if a church is grounded well in God's word and willing to live by God's word, then that person can be refuted by sound doctrine. Paul makes an interesting observation in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19. He says, there must be factions among you. There must be disagreement among you. Why? In order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When there are differences, we go to God's word with those things, and we recognize what is genuine and what is not. So if someone's bringing outright error or heresy, that can be dealt with fairly forthrightly. But often it's a lot more subtle than that. Sometimes false prophets say true things, but they don't say all of the truth, Sometimes they seem to say the right things, but they leave out vital things. We need to be really careful here, don't we? We need to be really careful in, in the culture that we're living in, especially. We're living in an age of, of increasing polarization. Uh, rhetoric just, just gets gets ramped up and and people say very strong things. There's a lot of finger pointing that goes on these days. And it's easy in that context to do a couple of things. One is to elevate certain issues to a level of importance that they don't deserve. Elevating certain issues to a level of importance that they don't deserve. It was probably about a year ago I I, I shared a series of concentric circles with you uh, trying to uh, help us think through where certain issues belong. Certain issues, uh, level five issues I call them, we can discuss and we can discuss most anything. I'll I'll discuss anything with you that you want to discuss, and I'll try to listen carefully, and and I may offer my opinion along the line of a level five issue, but it's just something we're gonna have a conversation about. Level four issues are things that we will disagree on, but I hope that we will be able to disagree agreeably. We disagree, but we're still friends. Uh, We disagree, but we can fellowship together. We just disagree on this particular issue. Uh, Level three issues are those that we just need to decide. As a church, there are certain things that we have decided, and um, we can affirm people as believers who don't agree with those things, But we tell them, this is what we've decided. This is how we're going to operate here. And if you want to come here, this is something you need to know. These are things that we have decided. One of those issues, for instance, is the intergenerational model here. That's how River Hills operates, intergenerationally. And if you want to come to a church that doesn't do that, there are a lot of them. But... River Hills has decided that for this church. And so don't come in here and say, I like this church except for that model. Uh, Well, there are other churches that don't have that model. This is something that River Hills has decided. Level two issues are those things that we would divide over. Significant issues of right and wrong. We we need to part company uh, if we can't agree on those things. Um, we need to not fellowship together. Uh, one of those issues, for instance, would be the inerrancy of Scripture. If God's Word is not inerrant and authoritative, we really don't have anything to turn to to tell us what is right and what is wrong. It's all subjective. There, uh, there are a lot of churches that don't hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, and anything can go. Uh, So, we will divide over that issue and others as well. And that level one is the issues that we would die for. Uh, Ask me to deny the deity of Christ. Take me to the wall on that one. Uh, Ask me to uh, deny the substitutionary atonement that Jesus died in my place. We will miss heaven if we don't believe those things. Those are things we would die for. And it's important then to make sure that, that we're dealing with issues at the right level. And it's easy to elevate issues to a level of importance that they don't deserve. The other thing that we need to be careful not to do is to denigrate people who disagree with us. Rhetoric gets ratcheted up, valid points that the other side makes get smacked down. The ability to have a meaningful discussion gets lost. Relationships get tossed on the garbage heap because we denigrate people who disagree with us. We need to respect them. So we need to be careful not to elevate issues beyond their appropriate level. and We need to be careful not to denigrate people who don't agree with us. Prophets are people who claim to represent God in what they say. In the Old Testament, they would make a pronouncement and end it with those words Thus saith the Lord. I knew a guy who left a charismatic fellowship uh, years ago. because people in that fellowship would stand up and share something that they believed God had impressed upon them, and end that with those words. Thus saith the Lord. He couldn't count on what they were saying being from the Lord, and he couldn't say that himself, and he decided this is not a place where I can remain. Issues aren't all black and white. Some are very complex. And we need to be really careful not to say, Thus saith the Lord, on something that isn't as clear as we might want to present it being. We need to be sure we're being clear where God's word is clear and leaving room for disagreement where God's word is less clear. We need to be humble in our pronouncements, careful not to misrepresent him. You see why we need to be careful in this whole area? The stakes are high. It is the nature of false prophets to mislead God's people. Jesus says they can look like sheep. They look like sheep, but inwardly, he says, they are ravenous wolves. The trouble is, we can't see inwardly. Only God can see into the heart. So we can get fooled. Think about Jonestown, Guyana, where Jim Jones led 918 people to their deaths by deceiving them. We need to be careful we don't get fooled. So, wolves, we need to watch out for them. But if we are sheep and they look like sheep because they're dressed in sheep's clothing, how do we know? How do we know they're wolves? That brings us to the third thing we need to recognize, and that's fruit. Fruit. Look at verses 16 to 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, to tell us how we can determine what someone is inwardly. What that person is inwardly will in time show up outwardly. The fruit that a plant produces will tell the nature of the plant. It can't be faked. It will show up in time when the plant bears fruit. Now... Look at verses 17 and 18 from it. And I'm going to just beg to differ slightly with the ESV here. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. I often encourage you to look at other translations. It's cheaper and easier than learning Greek. And what you will find in, uh, in comparing Other translations on this one is most translations will say, a good plant bears good fruit, a bad plant bears bad fruit. This is more than a diseased plant Jesus is talking about. This isn't a plant that you can get healthy again and it'll bear good fruit. This is a bad plant. The the Greek word is literally worthless. This is a worthless plant. Um, a thorn bush will never produce grapes a, a, a thistle bush will never produce figs it's not the nature of that plant to do that it's not that, that you can make a thorn bush healthy and it'll bear grapes it'll never bear grapes it's not the nature of that plant jesus uh, uh is is dividing Plants into two categories here. Much like in the Old Testament, they they divided animals into two categories. Clean animals, unclean animals. You can eat any unclean or any clean animal, right? You can eat any one that is clean. Unclean animals, you don't eat. And Jesus is talking about plants in the same way here. You get good plants and bad or worthless plants. The good ones will produce good fruit. The bad ones never will It's a worthless plant. It's a weed. It's one you don't want in your garden. It needs to be removed. Its only value is firewood. Now, how do we tell which is which? By the fruit. The fruit of the plant will identify the type of plant it is. How do we discern the reality of a tree's identity? By its fruit. How do we discern the inward reality of a person? By their fruit. That inward reality will eventually become outward. Produce, that's a great word, because it's what a plant produces. A plant produces produce. Tina went to the farmer's market yesterday, brought home some fresh produce. It's what a plant produced. A plant can't help but produce the produce, only it can. Apple trees will never produce oranges. Bananas don't come from grapevines. But we're talking not about trees here, we're talking about people here. So what's the produce we need to look for in people? Let me suggest three things. The first is character. Character. When we did our study of First Timothy last year, you'll remember when we got to chapter 3 and we looked at the qualifications for elders and deacons, the vast majority of those qualifications were character issues. They're not skill issues that someone can learn. They're character issues. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, in appointing people to those offices. Take your time. Allow the fruit of that person's life to show itself. Look at the produce in terms of character. What you are on the inside will eventually show up on the outside. That's one bit of produce we can look for. Another is teaching. We need to examine the teaching of people. The reformers were accused of false teaching. But what did they do? They appealed to the scriptures and said, no, the false teaching is what's coming out of Rome. Uh, what's coming out of scripture can be trusted. They appealed to the scriptures. Uh, The rally cry of the early free church founders was, Where stands it written? Where stands it written? Give me chapter and verse on what you just said. Where stands it written? Scripture is our basis for our teaching. And the produce of our lives ought to get us there. We need to see true teaching in the people that we would trust. The third bit of produce is influence. What's the effect of this person on the body of Christ? Is it a healthy effect on the body? Is this person practicing the one another's of Scripture? I published a list in the monthly newsletter last year, one month of the... One another's of Scripture. 27 different things that we are encouraged to do to or for one another. Love one another. Accept one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Serve one another. Pray for one another. Carry one another's burdens. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Bear with one another. And the list goes on and on. Do these people have a positive influence on the body? Do they show they care for the flock? Are they one anothering one another? These three bits of produce character, teaching, and influence can help us see the fruit that is coming out of somebody's life. And it can't be helped. Good plants produce good fruit. Bad plants never will. So fruit, watch for it. It'll show up. Maybe not right away, but give it time, and what is inward will show up on the outside. The fruit of someone's life will eventually show up, and it will tell you what kind of person you're dealing with. You will recognize them by their fruits. Sheep, wolves, and fruit. What do we do with a text like this by way of application? Let me suggest just a a few things. First, we need to guard the gate of leadership well. What I have done in each of the churches I have served is I've I've started a a group uh, of potential leaders, uh, a leadership development course, uh, and it allows us to, to spot some people who we believe uh, will be leaders one day and to help them work together around who we are and why we do what we do the way we do it and to expose them to some leadership tools. One of the things that that course has done that's been really helpful to me is it has helped me identify what's going on in someone as we meet together over many months I think I might have told you once about a guy who came to our church, and I sized him up as elder material right away. We need to fast-track this guy to elder. And I got him into the leadership development program of the church, and it wasn't long before I saw him just dominating discussions and putting other people down and saying things that weren't in accord with Scripture, and I thought, I'm so glad We didn't fast-track this guy. We, We allowed time for the fruit of his life to show itself. Guard the gate to leadership well. Don't compromise on the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Don't lay hands on someone suddenly. Take your time. Don't be hasty. Check the person's character. Check their teaching. Check their influence. Another thing that we can do with this passage was read to us earlier as well from 1 John chapter 4 where John says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's no coincidence he uses the word false prophets there. False prophets will be motivated by something other than the Spirit of God, and we need to check that out. When someone brings a message, when someone brings a concern to the body, check it out. Check it out. See if what they're saying accords with Scripture. And finally, we need to be careful not to elevate issues beyond the level of importance they deserve, nor to denigrate people who don't agree with us, lest we become a body full of suspicion and division, biting one another and devouring one another, as Paul said in Galatians chapter five, verse 15. Let me suggest another application and it's this let's make sure we are not becoming false prophets ourselves. As Christ followers, we represent God. We are His ambassadors, His representatives. Let's be careful to represent Him well. Where His word is clear, let's be crystal clear. Where His word is less than clear, let's give grace. And encourage each other to study God's word and to grow in our understanding of it. We can do that together if we're meeting and discussing and dialoguing together over God's word. Let the fruit of the spirit be the produce of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let that be the fruit that we're known for and let God receive the glory. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll make use of those in the coming week. Pray with me, will you? Father, with a text like this, uh, we recognize the need for care, for caution, lest we point fingers at others and become the very thing that we see in them. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as we apply this, your word, that we would begin with ourselves, that we would be careful to represent you well, and that we would deal graciously with those who differ. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be very discerning And that you would protect us from wolves who come masquerading as sheep. I pray, Father, that you would preserve the integrity of the body of Christ here. That we may be a pure instrument in your hands. That we may be as effective for you as we could possibly be. All for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.